0: Well, my name is Peter Chiel. I was born in 1980. I grew up uh, from a poor family and I struggled with my education. And throughout high school, I got support from individuals. Some of them, people who are not rich, as we could say, but who sacrificed to buy me a shirt, to buy me a trouser, to buy me shoes to buy me a set of exercise books, to give me a Bible which is needed in school, or a textbook which is needed in school, and just support me, and others were just praying with me, and these people who did small things in my life, they touched my life, they shaped my destiny. As I grew up, I grew up with a heart, with a vision that when I grow up, I also want to give back to society. I want to I want to assist people who are suffering, I want to assist people who are in need. I came to Mombasa in the year 2004, and in Mombasa I saw many people, I saw many luxuries, big beach hotels, with tourists coming in, and locals with money, enjoying themselves. But I also met poor people in the streets, begging, homeless, without homes, uh, without basic necessities shelter, I met people from the slums who didn't have a place to live, didn't have sanitation, didn't have a toilet, didn't have basic needs. I had compassion for these people, and so this led to me starting Action Ministry uh, with a vision to reach people with the love of Jesus, with the love of Christ, and to meet the needs of people that are suffering. So one evening, I met a man called Babu Karisa, And this man, uh, he was begging in the streets, and he had approached me to assist his children, who were then in school, uh, but they were in need of help. I didn't know about leprosy, so I didn't realize that this man was a leprosy victim. Uh, well, I saw that his fingers and his toes were missing but it didn't click to me that it was leprosy. So I decided to visit them at home. When I went there, I found a lot of people without, uh, with artificial, uh, either artificial feet, uh, without legs, without fingers, without toes, and the, the level of poverty was very high, and uh, rejection was very much open because most of them didn't want to come near to me. They were running away, they were hiding somewhere, locking themselves in the houses. The name of that place is actually Tumbe, the name of that camp, which means a place for rejected people. But God spoke to us and told us, these people are not rejected, they should not be called rejected. They should not live with the name of rejection. So we said, we're going to call this place Blessed Camp. We were talking to them on a personal basis about love, about Christ, about how important they are. For the first time, there's people that love them. Seeing uh, a life transformed, seeing a life changed, Uh, seeing someone who's not able to make it, now make it, and stand on their own feet. And listening to those testimonies, people coming and just talking about what has happened, how their lives have been transformed, to grow from one stage to another stage. That's what I like most. So that's my, my story, that's my vision, that's what I live for. Uh, for me, it's worth dying for.
1: Welcome to the creek, welcome to the rainy creek. Uh, the creek's filling up this morning, which is needed. Uh, that is uh, Action Ministry. They are an affiliate of Global Support Mission. Uh, when you guys give, I, I, I want to make something clear. When you give, uh, you're giving to get the gospel to these places. When we launched the church a, a year and a half ago, it's been kind of a, an emotional morning for me. I don't know why, because we're, we're finishing Matthew, so it's a great milestone. Um, you're welcome, by the way. Um <laughs> And I, I just reflected over our journey the last year and a half. And when we launched, we uh, said we are going to be a church that, that is going to be a giving church. Uh, the local church is a storehouse. Um, it's designed to bring our tithes, our offerings, if you think of it in an in Old Testament context, the place where we brought the grain, and the grain then gets distributed uh, to the needs. And so when we launched this church, we said, you know, we're not out to build our kingdom. We want to build God's kingdom. And uh, when you give, and and Heather and I give, we're we're the first ones to give every week, Uh, 10% of everything that comes in goes out. Uh, We support Global Support Mission. What they do is uh, they have affiliates, and they actually resource uh, the vision of people on the ground. Uh, You met Peter. His vision was was, uh, uh, to go in and reach the people of Mombasa that have been labeled rejected and reach them with the gospel because the gospel is transformational. And uh, they actually give feet to his vision. There's, there's other organizations that Global Support Mission supports. And we as a church, uh, part of our tithe goes to them. Uh, part of our tithe goes to, to missionaries on the ground in Canada. You met Aaron and Saba through video last week. Uh, we have Mark and Liz Hadaway in Brazil uh, we tithe into KidStand. You've seen KidStand and what they've done with our kids and what they do in our community. We tithe to, to our uh, parent church or our, our uh, church that is our covering church, Mosaic. And we tithe into our community uh, through Community Link. Uh, if you don't know anything about Community Link, they are in Saginaw. They service many zip codes around here. Um, they feed people. They, they help get clothes and resources to people. And as a church, we believe in having our hands in that, our fingerprints on the gospel uh, because someone getting food that can't afford food, that is part of the gospel. It leads to transformation. So when you give to that, that's what, that's what your fingerprints are on. Uh, through watching Peter's story, you need to understand that as the creek, your fingerprints are on the gospel getting to people in Mombasa. Because of, of your giving at the creek, um, there are kids in the Eagle Mountain Saginaw School District that are going to be impacted with the gospel um, through Kids Stand going in there this month. Through, through what you do, everything we do is about getting the gospel out of this place. Um, I, 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 what I love about the church is when we gather, it's great. We encourage each other. We get in here. We love on each other. Uh, we, we sing. We get into scripture. We, we kind of load up and lock in on the word. But the church's greatest strength is not when we come into this room. It's when we get out of this room. It's when we scatter. It's when we go into our world and go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces. And for some of you, that may never mean setting foot in Mombasa or Uganda or Kenya or Toronto or Brazil. But it does mean that you will go to Fort Worth. You will go to Saginaw. You will go to Lake Worth. You will go to the areas around you. And that is the gospel. And and I love what we're finishing with today And finishing up Matthew because uh, he finishes this with a commission that we are commissioned by the king through the whole uh, year and a half journey through the book and the gospel of Matthew. He's been writing this account to say the king that you have been waiting for, the Messiah that has been prophesied about, he's here. And Matthew writes this perspective to a Jewish audience to say, you need to quit looking for the king you've been waiting on because here he is. Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is the King and the King is here. And I love that we've been able to see and grow uh, with uh, the gospel through the last year and a half. I can tell you that I love Jesus more now than I did when we started this. And I hope you can say the same. I mean, I hope that that through this collision with the gospel over the, over this time that you have fallen in love with Jesus maybe for the first time and through the creeks ministry we have many people who have fallen in love with Jesus for the first time we've had many people who have reconnected with Jesus and we've tried to stay clear and not step in the religious stuff but let's just get locked in here with Jesus and you know we we've seen all of this process we've seen Jesus growing in his ministry we've seen the disciples Uh, And the mess that the disciples are and how Jesus uses these messed up people to change the world. I I, I think I'm at the front of the line when I would say we're a mess. I'm a mess. I mean, I I can't get all my stuff together uh, and God still uses me. God has, uh, I'm amazed when I look at what God has done through uh, his vision that he's given in my life about the creek and the people that I've connected with and the relationships I've had and the life transformation that's been a result of that. Uh, When we do baptism weekend, that's a very emotional weekend for me because baptism is kind of that exclamation point, that outward sign of an inward change. And I I am humbled and blown away that we get to be a part of what God wants to do in the redemption story of mankind. And and he started this community from just a vision. He's opened up a daycare for us uh, this daycare, honestly, keeps us lean and mean. It keeps us humble, but it keeps us lean and mean. I mean, we've been able to set principles in place to say, we are going to do these things even if we have to stay in the daycare a little longer than I would hope. I mean, I, 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 I can tell you I would love to have our own place. Our setup team, they, they busted every week, man. I mean, they're here early. They were here in the rain this morning. They're setting this up. They're here in the rain after today, tearing it down and week in and week out. We launched Wednesday night ministry a couple of weeks ago. And we've got people that come in here on Wednesday night after working a full day and we're setting up rooms and we're doing ministry and we're tearing it out of here. And God is keeping us humble with that. I would love to have our own place, but honestly, not at the cost of doing what we're supposed to do. If, if having our own place means that we can't have our fingerprints in Mombasa and we can't have uh, the support that we send to Canada and Brazil and our city around us, give me the daycare. You know, I, that, I'm just—that's the stake, and then I would rather do that than anything else. So, um, everything that we do. The reason we meet in a daycare, the reason we do the things we do is about the gospel. Uh, the gospel is central to our life. The gospel is, is key to our life. And the crucifixion and the resurrection is the gospel. And I can honestly tell you that if we do not have uh, any life change as a result of the crucifixion and the resurrection, there's no guts to the, to the gospel. There's no, there's no teeth to it. There's no flesh and bone and that flesh and bone becomes us and the gospel and the transformation through what Jesus did on the cross and the, the resurrection is what allows us to do what he's getting ready to tell us to do. So go to Matthew chapter 28 and uh, if you've got your Bible, if you don't have one, we have them on the end of the rows Matthew 28, it's the first book in the, the, the New Testament, and uh, we are going finish, to finish out Matthew today. Uh, we'll be in verse 16. Uh, it's kind of bittersweet. It, it's kind of that familiar thing that we've been in Matthew, and we've, that's like our whoopee, you know? <laughs> it's our, that's our security blanket. I never called it a whoopee. That's our security blanket. Um, but what I love about the way Matthew ends this gospel account is uh, he's telling us to go. Uh, this commission, you've heard it called the Great Commission. And uh, this is where Jesus is saying, uh, you've seen me do the work. Uh, you've been with me and, and now you go. And he gives this, this commissioning. And the, the first thing uh, I want us to understand about this, this commissioning uh, we tend to get a little confused as, as to what the commands are. But when you think of commissioning, it, it's, to, it's to entrust authority. It's to give authority. Uh, Jesus is entrusting us with his authority. When we launched the church the week before, uh, which would have been March 14th, 2010, uh, there was a core team of, of 29 people, counting Heather and I, that met in this room. And we prayed over the ministry that would happen in this room. And what we did is uh, that we called that a commissioning service. We commissioned that core team into the ministry of Marine Creek Church. And, And basically what it was doing is saying, we have authority to go into our world, to go into Saginaw, to Lake Worth, to Fort Worth, to this area and preach the gospel. And I, I really felt important or urgent that we do that so it doesn't become me going to our community. It becomes us. And throughout the last year and a half, uh, by the grace of God, people have said, we want to join in this mission. How do we make the creek our home church? We weren't going to do membership, to be honest with you. That brings up a lot of uh, religious baggage for me and so many levels. And so I just said, we're not going to do membership. Uh, I have my own thoughts and theories about that. I'm not going to knock anything with it, but I wasn't going to do it. And people were asking me, how do we become members of the creek? I'm like, y- you're coming every week, you know, <laughs> you're giving, you're serving. You, what, what, what you, you mean, do we do a, do a blood oath here? Or what, you know, you know, should we do the church thing and get you to sign a piece of paper? Would that make it happy? Um, but, my experience is when people say "I want to become a member," they sign a paper, they sign a covenant, and you don't see them again. Um, so uh, well, you commissioned me to go out well, where have you been? I've been at home <laughs> I'm waiting for my next orders well I've been trying to call you. Well, God hasn't spoken to me uh. Commissioning is giving this authority and Jesus is giving this authority to go into all the world. And, and when we commission people here at the Creek, uh, the core membership class has become that. It's a commissioning. It's not, you don't have the, the license to sign a covenant that says, the church, the Marine Creek Church, the Creek is my home. I'm a core member and now I don't have to do anything. It, it's quite the opposite. Membership here carries a very high responsibility and, and it's not to be taken lightly because the reason we call Call it core is the 29 people that were in this room on March 14th, 2010, and we commissioned all of us into ministry. That's the same thing that our core membership class is. When you go through the class, it's not your member, you are a card carrying member, you are commissioned into ministry. You are given the authority as the Creek to go out and go into the world and preach the gospel. Now, we're not preaching the Creek's message, we're preaching the gospel. And that happens to connect here at the creek. We're not trying to build a church. We're building the kingdom. And we're on this journey together. I'm humbled and amazed that God's brought so many people around us to share this journey. I was messing around in our database this week. Uh, In in the last year and a half, there's been over 700 people that have come through the creek. Now, that doesn't inflate my ego. Uh, It kind of like, well, where did most of them go? You know? It's like... Am I that bad, God? (laughs) I mean, I I understand this. We're not the church for everybody, you know, and we're not going to bend to try to get people to like us to stay and like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll give you that. We can promise you that. We're not selling Jesus here. You know, we prayed for God to bring committed people that are willing to go into the world and preach the gospel. And that's what we're going to do. And, and in this commission, Jesus is giving us this commission. Let's, let's read about it here. Uh, start in verse 16, and then uh, we'll go on through it. I'm going to read it, and then we'll come back and make some comments about it. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I don't understand how you could doubt after what you see, but, but there are in the other gospel accounts, there's still doubt. Doubt's a part of who we are. It it is. It's, It's that thing of humanity. You know, don't walk away from Jesus because of your doubts. Bring your doubts to Jesus. I love that even though they doubted, they still worshiped him. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What he's doing is, is when he is sending them out, when he is saying, therefore all authority has been given to me, all authority in heaven. If you remember, there were times when Jesus was asked, by what authority do you do these things? All authority in heaven has been entrusted to Jesus. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I am letting, I'm entrusting my authority to you. The, the challenge with that in church is we tend to use or abuse that authority to get people to stop instead of to go. Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go. Jesus gives us the authority to start things. And I think in churches, we've tended to, use that or abuse that authority to get people to stop. Well, you need to stop this. You need to stop this. That's, that's detestable. That lifestyle, you can't do that. Don't, you stop it, stop it, stop it. I mean, it, it, as a parent, remember when your kids were toddlers and some of you are in that phase and we're encouraging you, but you feel like all you do all day long, stop it, stop it. Will you stop that? Will you stop that? Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop, stop, stop You, you want to record it on your iPhone, just a memo, stop, you know, and you got to record several of them. Stop it now. Stop, stop, stop it you know, and it progresses. The Church is the same way. We've taken this authority of Jesus and we'll go, uh, we love you. Come on in. Everybody's welcome at church. We love you. We love people. We love the sinner, not the sin. And But then something shifts. We're like, well, wait, I don't really like that sin that, I, that, that you're involved in. So stop it. Stop it. I'm convinced of this. When we collide with Jesus and fall in love with Jesus that will cause us to stop some things. I do some things that I know Heather can't stand. I mean, there's noises I make that I, I, I don't even realize I'm making them half the time. And she's like, why, why do you do that? I don't know, honey. Why don't you stop it? I can't, you know? She's like, you need Jesus. I'm con- <laughs> I'm convinced that, that when we fall in love with Jesus, that he begins to shape our character. I, I, when youth ministry, I was meeting with a youth pastor one day and we were talking about uh, some of the attire the teenagers chose to wear to church. And uh, I love what he said. He, he stood, he was quiet through the whole meeting and he finally said, hey guys, how about this? How about we let Jesus change their heart and then they'll change their t shirt you know, in church, it's the same way. Let's let's get them to Jesus and let Jesus handle that. You know, we try to be that convictor and it doesn't doesn't work. And He's given us the authority to go and to do and to teach people to fall in love with Jesus. That's when things change. You know, we we can't legislate people's morality. We try. I mean, look look at all of the debates and the the political. Stuff that goes on of people trying to legislate morality. You know what? Why don't we follow Jesus? Why don't we, we seek a holy, righteous life? And then stuff starts cleaning up. Do you, you see what? And, and as the church, we're called to go and, and help people become lovers of Jesus, not to go call them out and say, stop that. Let's say, do this, love Jesus. And then he begins to work on that. So that's the commission. You know, it's him giving the authority. It's Jesus giving us his authority to put us into service. I mean, think about commissioning a ship in the Navy. I mean, you're putting it in service for work. When Jesus gives this commission, he's saying, man, don't just go sit in an upper room somewhere and talk about everything you saw me do and wait for me to come back. I'm giving you authority to go. And you need to get going. And and so he gives us this commission. And then he gives us a command in here. And and the interesting thing is we tend to get confused. I I know I did for years on what this command is. Uh, we, We tended to think that the command meant to go. Like Jesus is commanding the church, the disciples, us to go. And so the church is taught that... In this passage, Jesus is commanding you to go. Uh, In in other words, some pastors like, get up off your backside and get out into the world. Well, here's the the challenge in that. That's not the command. When Jesus said, therefore, go, that wasn't the command. There there are verb tenses in the Greek just as we have in in English. and, And one of the verb tenses that would mean this is an imperative which would translate... Instead of go, it's do it. It's a command. If you're a parent, you understand that command. Do it. Jesus isn't giving this imperative command in this, in this scripture, in this passage. The command, it, it, when he says go, therefore go into all the world, he's saying it's natural. Therefore in your going, or as you go, what Jesus is saying, let me, let me, let me read this. It says, all authority has been given in he- all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, make disciples. See, the going is natural. The making disciples is what we're commanded to do. And it's not, remember, the authority, it's not, we don't make disciples by commanding people to stop things. We use that authority to lead them to Jesus and to fall in love with Jesus. It, when you came in this morning and and most of you got in and I hugged you and it was a nice wet embrace there from the rain, Um, but I didn't tell you you had to breathe, did I? I? I mean, you didn't come to me as your pastor and go, can I breathe, please? No, you just did it. I mean, you've been sitting here listening to me and you've been breathing. It's natural. It's what living people do. I mean, we just can't help it. It's like some of the things that I do that Heather, <laughs> Heather's like, why do you do I don't know. But I breathe. That's one of the things I do. It just happens, you know. I don't even have to think about it. It just, it's there. And that's the autonomic system in our body. What Jesus is saying is, as you go, that's natural. That's normal. I mean, you're people. You're alive. You go. That's what people do. They move through life. They don't become sedentary. And so he says, as you go, make disciples. That needs to be natural. The way a disciple would would be called by a rabbi is uh, uh, in the day, day, a rabbi would would interview and inquire of people who wanted to follow him. And these disciples uh, would have been the same way. They would have sought out the uh, mentorship of a rabbi. The rabbi would choose who would follow him by grace. And he would say, uh, you come follow me. And What would happen is this man would become a disciple of this rabbi. He would take up his teaching or his yoke as it was called. And he would follow this rabbi. He, he would eat what he ate. He would walk in the same footprints he walked. He would follow him so closely. He would begin to talk like him that honestly it would be hard to tell who was the disciple and who was the rabbi. Uh, you ever have those friends that they, they meet a new friend or they make a new friend and they start kind of becoming that person? You're like, you're talking like them. You're dressing like them. You're, you're becoming them. <laughs> That's what a discipleship is. And so when we look at Jesus calling these disciples, uh, he said, come follow me. And he spent time with them And he said, you've seen me do these things. I want you to follow me so closely that when the world sees you, they don't know if they're looking at me or you. And when we make disciples, that's the same thing that we do. It was a privilege to follow the rabbi. The rabbi didn't say, you have to stay here. They could leave. You could leave at any time. But they wanted to follow this rabbi. They had a deep love and a respect for this rabbi. you have heard Jesus referred to in the Gospel of Matthew as a rabbi. Judas referred to him as rabbi, never Lord. And Jesus has gone to these men and says, come come, follow me. And with everything in them, they followed him. And he says, now, as I have called you to follow me, you go into the world and you make disciples. Um, that means that, that our command in making disciples is make people lovers of Jesus, not empty religious people. You, we have spent a lot of time over the last couple months looking at Jesus' interaction with the religious people. Uh, Jesus didn't go say, make church people out of them. Go make Republicans or make Democrats. He said, make them disciples. Make them lovers of Jesus. That has to be priority. Uh, As a church, we have to set that uh, stake in the ground to say, you know, we want them to be followers of Jesus. You know, you and I are not going to agree on on a lot of things, but we have to agree that Jesus is the Messiah. We may differ politically. We may differ socially on on what needs to happen. We may differ on, on so many levels, but being a follower of Jesus is priority. We'll talk about the other things. It's like the open-handed, closed-handed conversation. We will wrap our hands around the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He gave His life for us. He was resurrected on the third day. He is the Messiah. He is coming back, and He has called us to make disciples. In the open hand, poli- politics, uh, whether or not Christians should dance or not. Uh, I'm convinced that some dancing's not a sin, but some of us should not dance because <laughs> it looks like some sin is going on. Um those things we have to put in the open hand. We will talk about them, but we're not going to fight about them. We will fight about Jesus being the Son of God. We're not going to be religious jerks, but you know what? We're going to wrap our hands around that and say, that's what my life is on. That's what I, I, that's what I stake my life on. It's what Peter said, it's worth living for and it's worth dying for. And every one of these disciples died for this because they followed Jesus. Jesus. And so he says, You know, you go into all nations and teach them to obey the things I've commanded. All nations. All nations. Not the places that we like to go, not the places that that are nice and clean. You know, Peter's in Mombasa, and you heard him say there was a lot of luxury, a lot of money, beach hotels, people living it up. But God called him to camp rejection. All nations. We are called to go to all nations. And and let me just say this. This may sound real judgmental and hard, but but racism and Christianity do not mix. It's all nations. We are called to love all people, not just people that that look like us or act like us. It's all nations. I mean, I I hope you understand that Jesus was not a middle-class white guy. I just want you to know that. That may impact your decision to follow him. But honestly, I, racism and Christianity don't belong together. If you're a racist, I, I don't think you could be a Christian. Um, I know that's hard and judgmental, but, you know, chew on it. If we need to talk about it, we'll talk about it. Um, all nations, if we don't go, we help send. I understand that God has not called me to Mombasa. He's called Peter. Peter. When God doesn't call me to go, I have to do everything in my power to help someone he is calling to go. I mean, that is why we have Aaron and Saba in Toronto. When I go to Toronto, Canada, I'm there to go see my daughter. Saba and Aaron are called there for ministry. And God has not called me to ministry there, but I can help send it there. And whenever we are not called to go we are required to help send. Let's understand that. That's important as a church. Otherwise, we're gonna pick and choose the areas of ministry that we like. We'll say, this, this doesn't have as great of an impact for the church, so we're not gonna get involved with it. Yeah, don't, don't be playing those games. You know, we, this isn't cherry-picking ministry. God says, all nations. If I don't call you to go, you help someone sin. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad God has not called me to Africa. I, I, I'm, I'm glad but I have a heart for people who are called there and so I have a responsibility to help them get there. Is that we tracking with that we understand with that so it's all nations it's all people uh, he said go and you baptize them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit baptism we celebrate it we have our inflatable pool we we it was sponsored by geico last time we had the plane flying over um it's just a, it's 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 a celebration it's awesome Uh, But there's a cost associated with it. In in the first century, if you were baptized as a follower of the way or a derogatory term Christian, if you were baptized, you were outed. I mean, it it was like you were outed in society. and, And you would have a cost associated with that. It might mean that your family can't do commerce. It would mean that your family can't buy in the marketplace. There was a cost associated with it. I love how Jesus builds the cost into baptism. He he says, you take up your cross and follow me. There's a cost associated with it. For us to go make disciples means we have to die to ourselves. Taking up the cross would be like me loading up my coffin in my car to come to church. I have to die to myself... I have to take that on willingly that I am not going to to feed my temptations. I'm not gonna live the life that I wanna live because honestly, without Jesus, I'm a very selfish, egotistical, prideful jerk. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that has to be at work in me. And I have to die to those things. That's the cost. When I am baptized into Christ with him as my head, my Lord, my Savior, and my God, I'm dying to those things. And when they start rearing their head, I have to remember I'm dead to that. And if I fall into that, I repent and I say, Jesus, kill me again with that. Romans 12. I'm I'm a living sacrifice. The problem is a living sacrifice can crawl off of the altar, and I'm just saying. And I have to get back back on it. He says, baptize them. Take up your cross. Let me me help you with this, that living sacrifice. Just because you get saved uh, or you put your faith in Jesus, you're reborn, whatever Christian term we want to put around it. Um, It is life transformation through the gospel. And our life is radically changed by what the reality of what Jesus has done or not. Just because that happens does not mean you're not going to have temptation Sometimes it gets harder because here's the, uh, uh, a hard reality. There is an enemy that does not desire us to go. We have an enemy that his goal is to get us nice and happy where we are, that we start making the determinations that we're, we're just fine. We can coast a little bit. We're good. I mean, we, we still have some room in the daycare or, or we're, we're doing some good things in the community. We can chill for a little bit. There's an enemy that wants us to settle and don't and we can't go. He can't affect our eternity. We are bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. And we have asked for that sacrifice to be appropriated in our life. He can't change our eternity. But what he can do is he can affect our ability, our effectiveness, and our desire to go. And it's gonna, that's a nice chair. I mean, if, if Satan could build churches, you wouldn't be sitting on a plastic lifetime folding chair. You'd be in a lazy boy recliner with a cup holder and a remote I'm just, we're going to call it out there. And he says, go and teach them, teach them to obey. There's a, a maturity process in this. As we grow up, as we grow as disciples, as we begin to, to grow closer, we start to mature. The, the problem with uh, churches is uh, we start hitting these, these things where we, uh, we start to think our maturity is a little bit farther along than it really is. Uh, that's another tool and tactic of the enemy. And and one of the things we we think maturity means that that, uh, we should be taught more. And what Jesus is teaching here with these disciples is the mark of maturity is not being taught, but it's teaching. It's it's not what can you continue to do for me, church. Uh, Matt, teach me more, teach me more. The mark of maturity is that we get out and we are teaching others. It, it's great. We're going to gather and we're going to spend time. We're going to do Bible studies as much as we can. Uh, I, I love the community groups. Um, it, we're going to get into the Word of God. I mean, we're going to teach, we're going to preach, and we're going to live the Bible. But it's not so that we can learn more stuff in church that we don't plan to use, it's so we can go. I mean, that's the maturity. These disciples, you think about it, some of them it's questionable whether or not they were real Christians at that time. <laughs> They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. That wasn't given until Acts 2. And so he's saying, don't follow me anymore to say, teach me, teach me, teach me. He says, go teach, go teach, go teach, go make disciples. Maturity means we study the Bible and then communicate it to others in a way they can understand. About the year 2000, I was nowhere near reading my Bible regularly. And... Honestly, I I probably held the, the same belief that a lot of people fall into... It's hard to understand. I don't get anything out of it. I'll read and, I, and nothing happens. I don't, you know, I don't hear angelic voices going "Hallelujah." Matt read the Bible. It doesn't happen. Um, I, I mean, I read and I, I may still have a day that's just as bad as if I didn't read it. And I, I, I was like, you know, I get confused into the these doubts, arts, don't, do all this stuff, and and I just walked away from it. In two thousand, late two thousand, two thousand one, when Heather and I. I uh, got our family back into church. I began to pray, God, give me a hunger for Your Word, but but let me experience Your Word in a way that it's I can understand it. Uh, I, I got a different translation of the Bible. Um, the the King Jimmy, the King James version, is not the, the only Holy Bible. Uh, I I teach from an NIV. That doesn't mean that I won't teach from anything else from from uh, a scripture. I may teach from the ESV that doesn't it's not the extra special version it's the English standard version I, I study throughout the week with an NLT, New Living Translation Bible. But I begin to pray, God help me to understand Scripture in a way that is transformational, that, that I can get in. I want to feel the context. If it's funny, I want it to seem I want to read it as funny. If it's heavy, let me feel the weight of that. And and it wasn't so that I can walk away thinking, oh, I've got the funny parts of the Bible, I know the heavy parts of the Bible. I've got No, God was growing me and maturing me even at that point because if you would have told me then Matt you're going to be in ministry and teaching the word of God (laughs) we would have had a conversation baby but God was preparing me for that that's the mark of maturity that we study so we can feed you eat you get in the word of God don't just rely on me to do it on Sundays you get in there but you do it for the purpose of teaching other people. That's the maturity. And Jesus is saying, as you do these things, in your going, as you're making disciples, as you're teaching them to obey, and as you're maturing and the people following you are maturing and they are focusing on Jesus, they're growing up, Jesus is saying, I will be with you. You have the presence of the King. He promised this. He says, I will be with you even to the very end. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you. How is he with us? I mean, uh, the disciples saw him ascend into heaven. I mean, it, it, he gives the great commission. He tells them, go to the upper room and pray, and then whoop, he's going up. And after he goes up, what I love about it in the other gospel accounts, there are angels there, and they're like, what are you doing standing around? <laughs> he's gone. Go, do. He just told you what to do. And what I, I love about this is he said he'll be with us. How is how is Jesus with us? I mean, where's his body? His body is here. I mean, Paul is very clear in, in Romans that we are the body of Christ. Romans twelve twenty seven. That's in your further reading this week, that we are the body of Christ, that He is the head, that as we assemble, and He says, I am with you, my presence is with you. His presence also goes with us uh, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He promised us this spirit. He said, it's good that I go because the counselor is coming and and He is going to empower you to do what I've called you to do. The only reason, the only way that I can do what I do is is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that I can love with the capacity that I have to love is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that I have the ability to understand Scripture and to get in and let it transform my life is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's that's the way it is. And Jesus said, As I go, the Holy Spirit's presence and power is in you. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples were in the upper room praying and the Holy Spirit descended on them and filled them and empowered them and gave them the ability to do what they needed to do. They stepped up, they spoke Jesus clearly, they communicated the gospel and thousands of people were saved. I mean, these men had just recently rejected Jesus, denied Jesus uh, walked away from him, watched him be crucified. And these men now, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, are able to stand in front of thousands of people during a festival and clearly communicate the gospel so people's lives are changed. They are making disciples. And then they, get them, they baptize them and then they start forming these churches in Acts and you see the birth of the church and the assembling of the body of Christ through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to make Jesus clear. Anytime he gives us a gift, anytime he moves on us, anytime he's, he's working amongst us, the Holy Spirit is going to make Jesus clear. He will never do anything to confuse who Jesus is. We have to understand that. We're going to do a series in a couple weeks. On the Holy Spirit. Because in in churches, we have this weird kind of ooh about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He is a part of the Trinity. And we need to understand this. We need to understand how He works in our life. I do believe this that He gifts us to make Jesus clear. And that for every need that God brings through the door of this church or across the table of this church or on the email of this church, Every need that God brings, he has given us the giftings and ability in our church community to meet those needs because that makes Jesus clear. God's not going to bring needs that we don't have the ability to meet, but we got to get up and meet them. He doesn't empower us to sit in a chair on Sundays. That doesn't take the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to feel so, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's so powerful on me, I just got to sit down. No, <laughs> no. That's probably not the Holy Spirit. That's some other spirit that's trying to get you in that lazy boy with the remote and the cup holder. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us. Uh, the, he empowers us to do big stuff for the kingdom. He, he gives us ability to think outside of the box. To be to be willing to say, God, we don't know how, but use us. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to conceive what ministry looks like in a daycare center, to conceive what ministry looks like as we go out into our communities, into our neighborhoods, as we say, God, put us in these situations. I mean, I pray for you every week that God puts you in a situation where you have to make Jesus clear and that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that moves on that. So through this great commission, through what Jesus has commanded us and what he said, I will be with you, what do we take away from this? Don't let someone else do everything. Don't be content to sit back and say someone else will do it. Someone else will give. Someone else will serve. And I'm not not harping for money. I'm not harping for volunteers. I'm, I'm being honest with you. There are too many lazy people in church that sit back and think someone else will do it. When we launched this church with 29 people and the amount of work to do, we couldn't wait on somebody else to do it. As we have grown, we can't wait on somebody else to do it. God's given us the giftings and abilities. As a church, financially, we're in a great situation. As a church, volunteer-wise, I'm amazed at how many people are willing to say, I will serve the kingdom through the creek. But don't take on the mentality that somebody else has got it. I, 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 um, I don't ever want you to feel like we've got ministry under control so much that you're not needed because God has brought your giftings and abilities here and desires you to use them. We can't let somebody else do it. We've got to realize we're a church. We are a church. We're not a church plant anymore. We're a church. We're a body. We have responsibility. We can start ministry. We've been given authority to start ministry. We've been given authority to go and do. And don't don't let me do it all. If God's put a ministry on your heart, the conversation needs to be go, Pastor Matt, I got this ministry on my heart. God's given me a vision. How do we put feet to it? And I'm gonna say, giddy up, let's go. Let's get some feet under that. Let's figure out how we gotta get it going and let's get it going. Because we have work to do. The other thing is don't let fear paralyze you. Um, I hear people go, well, what if I make a mistake? Um, Let me just let you down easy here you will make mistakes. I make mistakes. I still make mistakes. I don't have this church thing figured out. God didn't give me all of it up front and go, well, uh, when you finish Matthew, you're gonna need to do this. And uh, on October 9th, 2011, this is what you do. On October 10th, 2012, here's, no, no, no. I have to trust. And when I make a mistake, when you make a mistake, here's what you do, you apologize and keep moving forward. Well, what if I'm talking to somebody at work and, and I do make a mistake and I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus and I mess up and they go, See? Then what you do is you acknowledge I'm a sinful person and I need Jesus just as much as everybody else. I'm sorry. I'm human. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. And so when you fall and get back up, you get back up being humble and glorifying Jesus and making him clear. One of the guys in business said, if you've never made a mistake, you've never made anything. What saddens me is there's a lot of people sitting in churches that have never made mistakes. And it's tragic. The greater tragedy at the creek isn't that as your pastor, I'm sinful and I make mistakes. The greater tragedy would be, God, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm ready or equipped to do this. And people whose lives have been transformed by the ministry of that God has done here, I would have missed out on. So we will make mistakes. You're not going to be able to teach a Bible study and know all the answers. If you are, you're going to be prideful about it. So don't let fear paralyze you. Uh, There are, um, I did a demographic study uh, with some pastors I meet with weekly. And we looked, and within 10 Miles or a five mile radius of our location. The number has changed drastically since we launched. Uh, but within five miles of, of Lake Worth, really the intersection of Hazel Avenue and Boat Club, five mile radius, 120,000 people. God has called us to go. Those 120,000 people may not fit in this daycare, but you know what? They fit in the kingdom. And I love Jesus too much to keep him to myself. And I'm going to do my part to be responsible to go into the world where Jesus has called me. And I'm going to reach people with the gospel. You may think 120,000 people, how do we do do that? I don't know. It's like the man on the seashore that's covered with the, the starfish and he's picking them up and throwing them back in one at a time. And the guy comes up and says, you're a foolish man. You cannot save every one of these starfish. He picks another one up and he looks at the guy and says, but I can save this one. And he throws it. And he reaches down and picks up another one. That's what God's called us to do. Not to be overwhelmed by how many people are not connected with the church or not connected with Jesus, but to say, that's a relationship I can have. That's a conversation I can have. That's someone that I can introduce to Jesus and make Jesus very clear. And that's what our calling is to do. So here's the deal. Here's the challenge is we've been commissioned. We've been given the authority. We've been given the command. Jesus is with us. And so let's go. I mean, let's go. In our going, let's make disciples. And I've committed to that. You have to commit to that. You have to say, Jesus, everywhere I go, in my going, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to make disciples. I want to live a clear picture of Jesus. So when people see me, they don't know who it is. Is that Jesus or is that Matt? Is that Jesus or is that me? So let's go. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the life transformation that is a result of the cross and the empty tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection. Thank you that we have new life thank you for calling us and challenging us and moving us so that we don't live a sedentary transformed life. God, you've called us to go. And so we ask that you give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the ability to go in your name. And Father, we don't go in and, and push our agenda we, we don't go uh, on, um, this isn't a Jesus hunt that we go and say, you have to repent or die. But God, you've called us to relationships and interactions. You've given us abilities and giftings through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those gifts. And we ask that you begin to make it abundantly clear to us the needs that our gifts can meet. Thank you for the organizations that you have partnered us with to to help the gospel be in all nations. But Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, just give us a, a, a kick in the seat today so that we're not content to sit here and send money or send other people to all nations, but get us up and into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, the cubicle next to us to take the gospel and make disciples. Father, we just ask that we make you proud by how much we bring glory to you through the message of the gospel. And we're we're ignited and, and reignited on the vision, mission that you have called us to as a church to glorify you through lives changed by the message of Jesus. We thank you for the rain. And just as you've refreshed our area, you've refreshed our spirits. Holy Spirit, refresh us with your vision, with your desire, with your passion. And when we fall, when we make mistakes, help us to be quick to repent. Thank you for taking messed up people like us and involving us in the redemption story of mankind. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father, we thank you and love you. Let us be clear images and reflections of Jesus to our world this week. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.